0: Hey everybody, this is Mike Van Meter, and this is the Mike Van Meter Show. This is your one-stop shop for everything having to do with conservatism, patriotism, the Constitution. And really just the right way to live your life. That's the way I look at it. And today, folks, I want to bring to you uh, Mr. Matt Lowry, who's running for Commonwealth's attorney here in the Commonwealth of Virginia. And this is going to be part of my series of Meet the Candidates and uh, also discussing the issues. And upcoming, you guys are going to hear just a little short podcast on all the issues that I plan on covering in the Virginia State Senate As we move forward in the election, and by the way, those of you that don't know, uh, after April 6th, no one declared against me on the Republican side of the House, so I am your candidate in the Virginia 33rd District, Virginia State Senate, and uh, don't know who my opponent is going to be yet. There's two people that are running against each other. That primary is June 20th, so uh, we shall see how that works out, but... Meanwhile, I'm going to be talking to you about all of the issues in our plans for making uh, the Commonwealth of Virginia the great Commonwealth of Virginia and making this just a great place to live for everyone because we deserve that. And and we're going to be starting with uh, talking about the other positions because in the politics, this isn't just one position. It's not just me in the Senate. I got to work with the other senators, the, uh, the House of Delegates, but something that's very, very important And more and more people are talking about is this interrelationship between law enforcement and the Commonwealth's attorney. Because, you know, having been a street police officer and an FBI agent myself, the fact is, I can go out and and make cases and build cases. And, um, you know, but if I don't have the prosecutor behind me... um, that's that's part of the judicial system. And and if there's a breakdown in that part of the judicial system, then we're going to have some serious problems. And I'm going to introduce you here to Matt Lowry, and he's going to tell you about his plans for making the Commonwealth a safer and better place. So with that, Matt, thanks for coming on the show.
1: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, well, tell us a bit about yourself and, you know, how you got to the point where you decided that you needed to run for the Commonwealth's attorney's office.
1: So uh, it was sort of uh, thrust upon me because it was never my idea to uh, ever have to run for office, but uh, I'm running for Commonwealth's attorney in Prince William County, uh, the city of Manassas, and the city of Manassas Park, and uh, the job of Commonwealth's attorney in many other places is called the district attorney or the state's attorney. It's the local prosecutor, and uh, the job involves prosecution of local criminal offenses, usually from the uh, local police departments and the state police, and occasionally dealing with federal agencies just because we have them around here. Um, By way of my background, I uh, grew up uh, first in Springfield and then I moved with my family here to uh, Prince William in 1984. Uh, I'm a graduate of uh, Woodbridge High School. Uh, When I got out of high school, uh, my ambition was initially to uh, be a firefighter, and so I was uh, working as a firefighter in the uh, OWL Fire Department here in uh, Woodbridge uh after high school and until about uh 1991 uh during that time i i you know and i and i know that you were a police officer in the same time uh you know this is a period that we loosely refer to now as the crack wars. and uh during that time i you know i was exposed to a lot of crime i saw a lot of drug crime i saw a lot of violence i saw a lot of domestic violence drunk driving and uh you know the stray murder and you know when you're a kid and you get exposed to this um i i found myself very frustrated uh because while you're i mean the job of a firefighter or an emt i mean you're helping people but i I felt inspired to do something bigger and then one day it just dawned on me that if i was going to do that i could do it as a prosecutor and that led me on a a long trail uh, from being a firefighter to becoming an attorney Ah, uh, because uh, you know, I had to first go to college, then go to law school, then get a job as a prosecutor, and it took uh, a, a very long time. My only real uh, professional ambition, after I was about 20, was to become a prosecutor in Prince William County, and uh, I did manage to pull that off. Uh, I wound up working as a uh, an assistant commonwealth attorney and then deputy commonwealth attorney in Spotsylvania County, where I was in charge of the. Uh, I spent a long time in the vice narcotics unit. I did uh, robbery homicide, but I ultimately wound up being the uh, supervisor of the juvenile court component of uh, our office. Uh, In uh, 2016, I came to Prince William, finally sort of fulfilling that ambition to be a prosecutor for home, uh, working under Paul Ebert. Uh, And when I came here, I was uh, almost immediately on robbery homicide and on the vice narcotics team. Uh, stayed in that unit until uh, the end of 2019, when uh, Mr. Ebert retired. Uh, after that, I went to uh, Fairfax County, where I worked uh, as deputy commons attorney and again in charge of the uh, juvenile court component there. So I have a, a prosecution career that spans about 20 years, a little shy of 20 years. And, um, you know, we're going to talk about it some more, but uh, it's time for me to not be a prosecutor in Prince William, but to be the prosecutor in Prince William.
0: Well, I, obviously, there was something that spurred you on to wanting to run for this office. I mean, we all have our reasons why. What was it that you were looking at that you said, "You know what? Enough of this. I think I can step in." Well, a a something needed to be done, and B, I'm the guy to get that thing done. Tell us a bit about that.
1: Well, the first thing was that um, in the 2019 cycle. Uh, for the listeners who don't know, Paul Ebert was the prosecutor in Prince William for more than 50 years. Uh, I think he's the historically the longest holding office holder for the same office continuously in the history of Virginia. And I think he's number two in the history of the United States. Uh, a really remarkable career of public service. And across that time, uh, the nature of prosecution changed, the nature of the law changed, the nature of the way we do business changes. And he changed right along with it. And he ran what was widely regarded as the gold standard for Commonwealth Attorney's Offices across the entire Commonwealth. Um, it it was an honor to get to work for him. If you if you were an attorney and wanted to be a prosecutor, it was a job that was highly sought after. It was very competitive. And people who came to the office, once they got there, never left. Um, the office was uh, used as an example of how Commonwealth Attorney's Offices are supposed to run. Uh, the office was uh, used as a resource for other uh, offices. Uh, very often, when uh, there were conflicts in important cases, and I, I think about things like uh, murder cases in remote counties, or uh, you know, cases where local prosecutors couldn't do the case because the uh, someone in the sheriff's office or the police department too close to the Commons Attorney's Office had been involved in some serious crime. When they when other prosecutors got into trouble, they called Paul Ebert, and he would send his trusted people to go out and do this work in the field, and so. Yeah, you know, this was the uh, this was the office I aspired to when I wanted to be an assistant, and this is the office I worked in while I was in Prince William County, and I'm I'm very lucky because I got to uh, work with a, a number of people who were uh, initially uh, sort of my uh, my heroes. Then they became my mentors, and now they're my friends. And I, I think about people like, um, Rick Conway, who uh, along with his uh, trial partner, uh, now Judge. James Willett, uh, those two guys were the lead prosecutors on the Beltway Sniper case. And I got to, you know, the, as, as baby prosecutors, we all knew who those guys were, but, you know, we thought they were almost literally gods of prosecution. And, you know, one day I came to work and I find that I'm sitting there eating breakfast with Jim Willett, and I, you know, would sit there and just like pick his brain all day, every day. It was amazing. Um, when um, 2019 rolled around, Mr. Ebert was going to run again. Uh, going for, I think, his 14th uh, election and uh, he wasn't uh, able to run. And uh, when that was going on, the current office holder was in the middle of primarying him and she had previously worked in the office. And, uh, you know, the, for those of us who were in the office, we knew her. We know what she did. We know how she came to leave the office. And um, we were confused uh, by her Her stepping up to run against, you know, the boss. And, um, you know, ultimately he had to withdraw from running. Uh, it was too late for anybody else to, to jump up and run other than independent. And that a bunch of us evaluated that and it wasn't going to work. And, uh, the current office holder ran on a platform that, um, is very different than what Mr. Ebert did. Mr. Ebert was about, uh, trying to achieve objective fairness and was, uh, and, and ran a plan where every case was uh, assessed on its own merits, and the only guiding principle in every single case was just do the right thing. And by doing that and by trusting your prosecutors to uh, make evaluations of cases and to exercise discretion in how they're uh, resolved, uh, we ran a very fair office that uh, that enforced the law in a way that was uh, effective. and uh which um didn't uh you know leave anyone hanging which didn't ignore victims which didn't uh leave crimes unpunished which didn't uh fail to hold criminals accountable and so uh when uh the current officer miss ashworth sort of swept into office uh the first thing she did was to uh see to the retirement or uh, non-retention of the top Uh, approximately one-third of the office. Um, So a bunch of us were just sort of suddenly out of a job. Um, And, I mean, it's completely the, um, you know, it's completely the right of the elected Commonwealth's attorney to have whoever she wants uh, to to work for her. Um, And, you know, I don't have any hard feelings about that at all. It's completely her discretion. But, you know, it changed the nature of the office immediately overnight. And what they replaced that with, is um, is something that's been come to be called on the national stage sort of like the uh, liberal or the, you know ultra left uh, Soros prosecutor playbook. And when I say that, I, I, I talk about a phenomenon that's happened of late. and you see it in places uh, locally. It's in places like uh, Loudon and Arlington, but it's also in Baltimore and it's in Manhattan and it's in Chicago. And it's in St. Louis, uh, San Francisco, Los Angeles, places like that where the prosecutors uh, have been bought and paid for by organizations that are run by George Soros. And with the money from George Soros comes a, a, a playbook uh, for prosecutors. And their playbook is built on what they call criminal justice reform. But what it really is is a, a sort of reimagining of criminal justice that doesn't comport with public safety. Um we sort of knew what that was going to look like before they came into office. And and I say we, the prosecutors who were there, sort of knew what that was going to look like before they came into office. And uh, you pointed out early that there would be trouble with this uh, because the their plan uh, is based on premises that are um, not community focused. They, they uh, are worried about uh, emptying prisons, uh, not, uh, incarcerating violent criminals pretrial. Um, they're at the forefront of, uh, pushing bail reform to the point that, uh, the concept of bail is eliminated. Uh, they, uh, would much rather, uh, defer or decline on charges and actually prosecute them through holding people accountable. And it's a different style of, of, uh, law enforcement. It's not to say that it's invalid. It's just different and um in looking at this in operation the the result very quickly uh became and, and you know again you were a cop right you know i mean the criminal element talks worked that around very quickly in prince William county that um small crimes weren't being handled that criminals weren't being held accountable and what we've gotten in response to that is uh, lots and lots of criminal actors are doing lots and lots of extra crime because there is no cost to doing their crime here. Um, we recently had a crime report uh, come out from the Prince William County Police Department that covered uh, their, covered the uh, 2022 uh, from January to December, and across uh, crime, uh, violent crime in Prince William is up 70%, actually it's 71, and. Uh, all other crime, all, all other crime across the board is up uh, something approaching 26%. And so uh, spread out across about a 10 year graph, there's a steady decline in the crime rate for uh, a decade until you get to January 1st, 2020, when the current Commonwealth attorney took office and then there's a sharp spike going up and the crime rate's been on a rocket ride ever since uh, she took office. So, you know, I live in uh, South Woodbridge, uh, in Eastern Prince William County. Um, there have been many, many, uh, there's always been sort of a, a, couple of neighborhoods that, um, that have had trouble, but what's happened since the changeover in the Commonwealth attorney's Office is, uh, Woodbridge and Dumfries and Dale city and, uh, portions of Manassas and even out into Bristow, which is basically where everyone in the County lives, uh, have become the wild west. Uh, There are daylight shootings. There have been rifle shootings in the parking lot of Potomac Mills Mall. There have been people stabbed in the neck in broad daylight on Route 1. Uh, There uh, have been, there are a bunch of petty crimes that just aren't prioritized by the Commonwealth Attorney's Office, and as they continue to deprioritize small crime or not punish small crime when they have it, uh, there is this upswell of criminal activity that doesn't seem to be stopping. In fact, it seems to be getting worse. Uh, So, you know, you get to uh, looking at something like this, and it's one of those situations where you're like, "Well, somebody really ought to do something about that." And uh, we started looking around, and uh, you know, it turned out that somebody was me. Uh, I, I have a, uh, I have a skill set uh, that works for being the Kamloops attorney, and that I've been a manager. of uh, of both a small and a very large office. Uh, My command chain when I was Deputy Commons Attorney in uh, Fairfax was bigger than almost all of the offices in the state, uh, and I had uh, full management authority over my group in Fairfax, Um, so I know how to run an office. I know how to deal with the problems, and I know uh, how to, you know, handle every type of criminal case that would come through in Virginia. Um, I also know how to do it the right way uh, because my, my boss in Spotsylvania trained me very well to be a uh, both a, a prosecution manager and a prosecution shot caller. Uh, and so, uh, and his name was uh, William Neely. Mr. Neely was a uh, Commonwealth Attorney in Spotsylvania for almost uh, for almost thirty years uh, as the elected, and uh, took me under his wing and showed me all these things. And then I had the benefit of working with Mr. Ebert directly and uh, learning directly from him. So I, I'm more than ready, more than capable, and more than qualified to be the Commonwealth attorney. And when we got around talking to people who were potential candidates, every time the question came up, well, who are we going to run, it always turned to me. And I, 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 I am fond of saying, I mean, I wish there were a more able candidate, but there's not. And so I, for the benefit of my community and to fix the things that are going wrong, I feel like I have a, a sort of a duty-based calling to do this. And I know that sounds corny, but uh,
0: it's not corny to me.
1: If it's not me, there's nobody else. Yeah, and um, you know, I, my uh, older brother said you were forged for this, <laughs> and uh, I, I think that's probably right. That's that that that's a good answer. It turns out I was forged for this.
0: Well, you know, Matt, and, and it's not corny at all. I I think that it's it's true. I think it's true of me as well. You know, we are people, um, and you are a person that is all about public service. And as am, as am I, and like you, it's okay. Well, if not me, then who? And we look around the landscape, and there really is no one else to do this. And things are trending bad. That's not even a political statement. You you just look at the stats that that you laid out. And in, by the way, in some areas in our community, you know, you get up here where I am, and then over in Washington, D.C., which is not far away from where you are. Some of those stats that you just mentioned are up in the 100% increase, not not even 71% or 26%, which is what you'd mentioned. It's even higher. Um, the whole community is, is trending in the wrong direction. Out, out of curiosity, uh, what does she say about this? Um, I mean, the stats are out there. Everybody can see it. Is this, uh, do we need to course correct? I mean, is she saying that we need to course correct uh, where things are getting... Like, when she speaks out in the public, what does she tell the public about what's uh, going on?
1: Sh- I know for a fact she will look you in the eye and say, stop saying crime's going up. It's not.
0: And she's I, basing I, this on what information?
1: Uh, I think it's her feels. I mean, I
0: don't know. it's It's her feelings?
1: Yeah, as the, as the kids would say, I think it's her feels. Um, yeah. I, I think I think that's just... I think she... I don't know. I, I think she thinks that what she's doing is working... I think that she thinks that what she's doing has got everything on the right track, and I think that she thinks that any report that the crime rate is going up is just something trying to take her down.
0: I don't think most people in the community even need to look at a crime report. I think they can just look around, and well, you know we don't live in make believe land. That this is this is happening. It's happening. <laughs>
1: it just is. And uh, and and where I live on the Route One corridor in uh, in Woodbridge, uh, you can absolutely feel uh, the crime is higher. Uh, people don't feel like they can walk the streets anymore. People don't feel like they can go outside. And these are these are neighborhoods where uh, Ms. Ashworth will never go. She takes the votes there for granted. Uh, and uh, the people who live there are living in a way that is, uh, I, I don't find acceptable uh, because uh, the good people of the community aren't running the streets. It's the bad people in the community that are running the streets. And those bad people are not being held accountable and or removed.
0: Yeah. And, you know, this election, Matt, really comes down to diametric opposites, if you think about it. In in, in almost every office, whether we're talking school board, Commonwealth attorney, the Senate, the House of Delegates, uh the the supervisors, of the various counties, it's a diametric opposite. You, you you are either happy with the way things are going and you want more of that. And and I say more of it because it's it's trending in the wrong direction, or we are going to change this. And it really comes down to when this election comes up, make a decision: Do you want this or do you want that? But it's not, um, you know, it's not like you have this going on and then you're like a lukewarmer version of that. It is literally the diametric opposite, is it not?
1: It's uh, it's close. I mean, the the couple observations about the race just from a, a politics standpoint are that there, I in because Mister. Ebert held the office for so long, and um, you know, there was never. Uh, I don't, to say there was never a serious contest is, is wrong, but um, he was uh, never, there was never a close contest uh, for that whole time that he was there. And the result has been that uh, for everyone's lifetime, basically, and certainly within memory in Prince William County, there has never been a race where there were two candidates who were fully qualified, uh, who, uh, you know, fully qualified, experienced prosecutors, going head to head from opposite parties, in an election where uh, the real issue is, uh, do you want a soft on crime, you know, defendants first, victims last kind of approach, or do you want a hold people accountable, pro-community, even handed approach that, you know, takes care of crime. And that's where, that's where we are right now. And it's, uh, it's it, 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 if it's not diametrical, it's awfully close.
0: Okay. So we're talking about Soros and we're talking about like, the direction that Soros has taken these people in. And I want to ask you about something because my opponents, both of them running for the Virginia State Senate, make a big issue out of something that I'm going to bring up here, that the Commonwealth's Attorney's Office, it may be at the center of this. And I'm just interested in your thoughts on this. My opponents both talk about systemic racism and when they talk about that, they're directing it at the legal system. That's the police, and that's the attorneys, the prosecutors. I find, you know, if someone has spent my entire life in um, either the military or in a law enforcement capacity, the fact that our system targets people just because of their race or any other issue, it, I find that abhorrent. And, you know, you're part of that system, Commonwealth Attorney's Office— what would you say to someone that says that our legal system in the Commonwealth of Virginia is full of systemic racism? What would you say to that?
1: Well, I I start with me. And I, I I mean, the first thing is I, I I was raised to be an anti-racist before anti-racist was a word. So exactly. There's, there's my starting point. Um, And then, to, to work in law enforcement or to work, I mean, I, I also continued to run in the fire department for 30 years. So, I mean, I, I have sort of like this intimate knowledge of the street and I I work in a uh, minority majority neighborhood or I worked in a majority minority neighborhood for my entire career. Uh, to say that I don't care about minorities or that I'm not able to take care of minorities or that I'm not able to help minorities is just silly. I have spent my whole life in these communities doing exactly hands-on help if not legal help and uh with regard to systemically and now now you step back a little bit and you talk about systemic issues um I, I think it's a trope i think it's just something people say to be inflammatory because you know they're especially in prince william county we have a very highly rated police department if you look to their reports they have almost no use of force incidents. They have no use of force complaints at all. Every use of force they have was found to be justified. And uh, they, well, on, with maybe one who but across the board, it's an excellent police department. And the police department itself is uh, racially diverse to a degree that it now represents that the police department looks like the community that it serves. So, you know, i think there are issues where um, if for instance they've started tracking traffic stops and i mean you'll know this from working in the district as a police officer if you work in a neighborhood where uh, you know if your patrol beat is in a neighborhood where everyone who lives there is uh is hispanic then your traffic stops are going to be something like 85 percent hispanic that doesn't mean you're racist that just means you work in a neighborhood where there's hispanics that's that's how that happened.
0: yeah I, I've said that for years I've said that for years you, you're, you're engaging with the people that live there it right. does not make you a racist it means that you were assigned No, oh, by the way you were assigned to an area and told to police that area so uh, if you live in an all white neighborhood or predominantly white neighborhood you're going to arrest predominantly white people <laughs> it, yeah. a lot of this is just, just common sense it it just is well,
1: and and no but the problem is people talk in sound bites and they don't talk about whole issues they, they they never get to a complete discussion of an issue i mean i i take people out at night and i you know i've, I've had the for, you know good fortune to go out and i've spent a lot of time working alongside detectives and a lot of the time working alongside patrol officers and i've been shown a whole lot about policing and i mean I, one game i like to take people out and play is tell me the race of that driver and you take somebody out at night and you know you get behind a car, or you stand in front of a car, and you say, tell me the race of that driver, and I can't do it. So like, the idea that people are being targeted, uh, doesn't add up. Uh, it, and you know, the the idea that there's something wrong with the, the system, calls into question, uh, the, the real problem with the, the um, systemic racism trope is that it calls into question the validity of the entire legal system,
0: mm-hmm.
1: by which I mean, you know, if, if this is specifically racist, is it okay to have a legislature pass laws that make certain offenses criminal? And then is it you know not okay to enforce them? And this is part of the the sort of, the, this is sort of part of the plan that when I say things are anti-community, when, when certain prosecution steps are anti-community, this is what I'm talking about. If, if, if your prosecution plan includes, um, you know, something that invalidates the existence of government, that's not being a good prosecutor.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm yeah i and I think that that is very, very well said and we we have we've got to stop that and for those of you that are listening to this podcast understand that when things like this are being said, it is designed to inflame you. it's designed to enrage you, and there is no justification to the statements that are being made, particularly here in the Commonwealth um when they talk about you know uh, police brutality and they talk about uh, police misusing powers. I can, Matt, can you think of an example in the Commonwealth of Virginia where that's happened? I mean, uh, I, I mean you yeah, you uh, you would know better than I. I. let's put it this way. it's there's not been an incident that jumps to my mind. I mean, to the point because if it was a problem, if it was, if it was a systemic problem, I would think that I would be able to go down a list of, you know, remember this, remember this, remember that, but I can't think of any.
1: Well, and the thing is, there's a difference between an incidental problem and a systemic problem, right? And I I think the problem is that the 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 demand for um, racism and the demand for racial hate and the demand for racially driven racially driven police mishaps uh, far exceeds the supply. Um, And you're asking, I think it's something. I mean, there's a case going on right now in uh, in Dinwiddie County uh, down south of Petersburg where um, there's a, a, a prosecution going on of 10 uh, their, uh, various law enforcement agencies who were involved in trying to subdue a man, and the man wound up dying, and they charged 10 officers with homicide offenses. Uh, I don't know the merits of that case. I wouldn't comment on it because it's sort of ongoing, and I don't know the facts uh, beyond that that's the allegation. Uh, but you know, that is an example of something that's incidental,
0: is that the one that was? I believe it was a mental health issue. Yes, it
1: was. Uh, yeah, I think it occurred at Central State Hospital, which is a state mental health facility. But again, that's that's something that's incidental, not something that's systemic.
0: Right, and and then even with that case, and again, without getting into the details of the case, one would have to argue that that was done because of the man's color, as opposed I to say, one, right. one thing.
1: I don't know. One thing I don't know the answer to is. What anybody looked like, right? (laughs) I mean, and and honestly, it doesn't matter what anybody looked like.
0: Yeah, Um, because I I think one thing you know, again, as a law enforcement guy myself, that uh, if anybody worked the street, and I was a city police officer, and people have no idea what that's like. I mean, it's a very 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 dangerous job, and um, you know, thank God I I never had anybody die in my custody. Um, You know, those types of things never happened. Thank goodness. But if God forbid it it did, to to then say that this person died in my custody and they died because of racial motive on my part, that's a huge leap. That's a huge leap. And it sounds like they're, oh, it seems like we just have a section of the community and our opponents are, they're, they're, they want to attribute anytime there's a use of forced death involving a person of color, it was because they were a person of color. And that's a big leap, isn't it? Uh, it is. And I mean, I, with no evidence is, so, uh, showing that, That, it, that it, I mean, obviously there's it, evidence. And I think, I know you and I both would be the first to, if if that were the case, to prosecute it to its fullest. I know you and I would be the first to do that. Uh,
1: that's, uh, yeah. And I think that's a, a problem with, uh, it, funny, we talk about prejudice uh, that's a, you know, when you say something like any use of force case that results in the death of somebody who's not white is obviously systemic racism, that's prejudging the case, every single time, and you know, no one should indulge that. What you need to do is sit back, gather the facts. Once you have all the facts, evaluate them, and then decide what something is. Absolutely, That's what, yep. that's, what that's what good prosecutors do. <laughs>
0: And I think and that anybody if 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 you think that if you were the person that was the subject of one of these cases and I think sometimes our democrat friends don't sit back and and think about that you got to remember if you were on if you were on the receiving end of this how would you want the case to be run would you want the facts to come in and then they or would you want somebody to say ah white cop hispanic black whatever person it non white Obviously, racism. How are you okay with
1: that? Well, I can tell you what nobody wants is nobody wants a snap judgment made based on politics. It, it, that's the opposite of good prosecution. You know, it's just that simple. Crime, crime investigations, and uh, or criminal investigations and uh, decisions regarding charging or maintaining charges are far too serious to allow any hint of politics political operation partisanship or anything into that calculus there's no space for it the only thing that matters is the facts yes that's, I, that's why in, in my race i'm trying very hard to uh run as nonpartisan down the middle as possible because uh, you know the, the the job of being the commas attorney and the person who's deciding you know who gets prosecuted who doesn't whether we're gonna you know bring charges on somebody or not, whether we're going to support the police and charges that they brought, there is no space for any politics in that. Nope. The only thing that matters is the law. And, yeah. you know, I, th- there's lots of people who have forgotten that. Yeah. And that's part of why I'm running.
0: And we, we've, and I won't bring in up, up another issue and go down a rabbit hole, but we, we've seen that at the federal level, I think here in the, in the last few years, quite a bit, um, a lot of press on that. And that is not, that is not where we want to go as a nation, uh, we, we need to have a pure legal system uh, with pure prosecutors, and I'm, I'm with you 100%. Um, I used to tell, when I taught um, at the FBI Academy, I used to teach interview and interrogation to the new agents, and one of the things I used to say to them is, you know, if the evidence leads to my mother committing the crime, then I need to be willing to go and arrest my mother for committing the crime. And if you can't do that, you're in the wrong business because we're based on – if the facts of the case led to my mother committed that crime, then you need to be able to say, okay, that's what we're going to do if that's what the facts say. And we've gotten uh, away from that.
1: Well, and, and that, that sort of um, activity takes um, both devotion and discipline because you have to be devoted to the idea that, hey, we allow the evidence to guide our theories – And we have to be dedicated to that very strongly because if not you wind up in a situation where you develop a theory on the case and then try to backfill it with evidence and that doesn't work that's how you get the wrong results and so it's very important when you're dealing with investigations to remember that you have to let the evidence be your guide to where you're going and that takes discipline
0: yeah in anything emotions um because really this is feelings a lot of what the other side is doing. Much of what they're talking about is just, it's based on emotions. And we cannot have that in our, our legal system. And I'm just so glad that uh, you, you're going to, it sounds like you're going to bring purity and that discipline and the the commitment to the Commonwealth's Attorney's Office. And that's what we need. And we need it. Uh, we need it so sorely right now. We cannot keep going down the road that we are in right now. And so, uh, just in the, in the last moments that we have, um, we are in the season. We're in the election cycle here. Um, can you give us kind of an update on where, where we are? I know it's still kind of early in in the season. Um, you're, you don't have anybody running against you. I don't have anybody running against me, at least in, in my party. Um, uh, so we're gearing up. So where are we at with your campaign?
1: So for me, i mean, like you said. I'm in sort of a similar boat to you. I uh, have gotten through the the uh, primary process without a, a challenger. Um, that was in part due to courtesy of other qualified candidates who thought that I was the best person to run and didn't get in my way. Um, the uh, I'm going to be the I'm the party nominee now. I'm going to be on the ballot in November. That part's easy. It allowed me to preserve a lot of resources for uh, turning the fight to the office holder, uh, which is good because uh, we're all going to need to preserve all of the assets we can for the uh, November election cycle, rather than the primary election cycle. Um, I'm doing right now, I'm going to uh, somewhere between three and, uh, I'm going to to, to between three and four uh, events uh, every single week. Uh, And sometimes it's more. I've had a Saturday where I went to three events in one day already. And it's not that that's a very busy schedule overall, but it's very busy for, we're in the middle of April. Uh, And so, uh, I intend to uh, keep this up all the way through the election in November. And, uh, you know, along the way, uh, meeting lots of interesting people, I'm focusing my efforts on uh, getting to uh, people who are in the middle. I have found that uh, in talking, you know, I I go to, um, you know, neighborhoods where my opponent won't go, and I talk to people there. And uh, I find that many of them have opinions that are sort of contrary to the national narrative. Uh, You know, if you you pick what you would say is a quote-unquote bad neighborhood, and I would say they're not bad neighborhoods. They're places where we allow bad people to stay. Um, You know, if you talk to people who live there, they want uh, more government engagement. They want more community engagement. They want more police engagement. They want police on foot patrols. They want substations in their neighborhoods and they want to keep you know, they understand that the bridge between the community and the police is, is in the process of being rebuilt and they want to keep going with that and that's uh, directly contrary uh to what's on the news every night and uh it's uh you know it's 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 heartening for me as a, as a candidate to go out and and and, and you know I'll, I'll talk to somebody for several minutes and look go, what part are you running for and I'm like, I'm running as a Republican, but I'm trying not to mention it to anybody because I want to. I'm, I'm here to do a nonpartisan job in the most nonpartisan way possible, and I, I need help to win the election from people who are not in my party. And I'm out here talking to people, trying to get that. And it, it, my message is being very, very positively received. So, I mean, yeah, that's what I'm doing. I'm trying to build awareness of you know my uh, election race, and I'm trying to build awareness of what the office is, and make the connection between improving prosecution policy and improving public safety on the streets. And that, that's going really, really well.
0: Yeah. And I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. And speaking of the events, you're going to be at one of my events next week, next Friday night yes, on the 28th. <laughs> yes, sir.
1: That's going to be fun.
0: Yeah. I, I look forward to it. I always hear, enjoy hearing you speak. And I'm very excited for your, your campaign. And, um, Sounds like we're brothers in arms in that regard, because, you know, I I, I got to say, we have a number of candidates that are running that and I, I'm talking about the Deleg- House of Delegates, the Senate, the Commonwealth's attorney, um, supervisors, school board. We have a lot of people that have a lot of great ideas and we've got to get out. We've got to mobilize, uh, you know, people to vote for us. And um, this is not about being a Republican or a Democrat. It's about helping the the people of. Virginia. And I know, and I've met you and I know you're a man of integrity and I, uh, really wish you all the best of luck in this race. And so let people know how they can get hold of you. If they want to reach out support your campaign, how would they do that?
1: So the very best way to get to me is, uh, on either, uh, my Facebook is uh, facebook.com and then it's Matt Lowery, which is M A T T L O W E R Y the number four CA like commonwealth attorney uh, and that's why I have a, a large and growing body of uh, policy positions and commentary on there about how to properly run a Commonwealth attorney's office and how to properly uh, evaluate cases for prosecution and uh, I mean if you really really want to learn you know where my head's at what I think about crime and, and how to run sort of a, a a competent even-handed and pro-community prosecution shop uh, that's the best place to go I also have a Twitter account that's at Matt Lowry for CA and I run a Instagram. That's also at Matt Lowry for CA. Um, but uh, those are the places where it's easiest to find uh, you know my stuff. I've got a website that's linked there. Uh, the website has the donate button. I would uh, I'd be remiss to not mention that uh, in order to take out the uh, current office holder, it's going to take a whole lot of money. So I'm uh, eager to uh, earn the financial support of anybody who wants to see uh, to sort of restoring regular justice pact to Prince William County. And, uh, you know, I'd ask that anybody who's uh, into that uh, visit the website, which is, uh, again, mattlowery4ca.com, and uh, go to the donate page and hit the donate button.
0: Yeah, um, pl- please do. Reach out, and that's Matt Lowry 4 and that's the number 4ca.com, correct?
1: That's correct, and it's L-O-W-E-R-Y.
0: Okay. And uh, Matt, thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to uh, being part of this race with you as we move forward.
1: It's going to be fun. And uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing the, the group at your uh, at your event next week. Because, yeah. uh, I, I think we're going to, uh, it's at a good place uh, there at, uh, the, um, uh, at uh, Stonebridge. And uh, I hope we get a big group out and we're going to have a lot of fun. And we're going to talk about how to take our community back.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, folks, do you can get some um, information on me as well? And that's Van Meter, E R at the end, Van Meter uh, 4, but spelled out F O R, Virginia.com. And that's all spelled out, Van Meter for Virginia.com. And check out my Facebook site, Van Meter for Virginia. And you can get information on how you can come out and join us at this event. It's going to be a meet and greet uh, down there in. Um, in uh, Next week, it's going to be the 28th, starting at 6 p.m., and it's going to be from 6 to 9 p.m., so come out and join us. And please, folks, we the Democrats spend a lot of money on these campaigns, and the fact is we need money uh, for these campaigns, and we hate asking for money, but uh, that's how we get our message out and understand we're working for you. We're trying to work to make the Commonwealth a safer place, a better place for you. And you can hear from listening to Matt that that's exactly where his heart is. That's where my heart is. But we've got to get the message out to people because it's going to be a tough campaign. So with that, guys, we'll be talking with you soon. Thanks, Matt, again for joining us. And I will see you next Friday.
1: Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. And I will see you next Friday.
0: Absolutely. And you take care, guys. All of you out there. Follow this race. We're going to be bringing some policy podcasts your way soon. Take care.